Hey folks, thanks for listening to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. It's me, Dave Wakeman. My guest today is a marketer and a lawyer. Crazy combination. Alex Sinatra. Alex is great. Uh, she is on the board of the Esports Trade Association. She teaches continuing education uh, using esports. Uh, and she's a writer, an entrepreneur, um, somebody who worked as counsel for a professional sports team and has taken her skills and applied them in different ways. So I wanted to have Alex on to talk about all of that. Um, before we get to more about Alex, though, I want to point you towards a couple of my friends. Um, first, I want to highlight the We Will Recover project. That's wewillrecover.live. It is an initiative that the team at Activity Stream, led by Anar and Martin, uh, put together at the very, very start of the pandemic as a way to give people ideas to help recover, to rethink their businesses, to relaunch successfully. Um, I'm sure that right now, as we are heading into the holiday season, um, we're all hopeful that 2021 is going to be a much different year than 2020 has been. And the ideas that the guy, that everybody at uh, the We Will Recover Project are putting together to share with people are going to be helpful useful and powerful and making sure that 2021 is a much, much better year. Also check out my friends at Booking Protect, uh, bookingprotect.com. There's a great blog, a great social media feed right now, especially on Instagram that puts up quotes and pictures and images and things from all over the world to help remind us about what's amazing about live entertainment and getting together with your friends. Um, right now, as people are trying to figure out what comes next for the live industry, live entertainment industry, um, the idea of giving people security, peace of mind, um, and you know, a new re- even a new revenue stream is very, very important. So, if you've been thinking about offering refund protection, now may be a good time to reach out and connect with the folks at Booking Protect. I'd also, I'd also like to point you to. The National Sports Forum. I'm going to post this episode. Today is December 8th. That's Tuesday. The National Sports Forum's week winter meeting will be uh, the 9th and 10th of December. So Wednesday and Thursday. So tomorrow and the next day. And if you are so inclined, you should sign up. Um, Ron Seaver and his team have put together a really great program. Um, it's virtual. They've made the tickets affordable so that people can participate. Uh, I am giving a doing a session on Wednesday, or Thursday, the tenth at eleven forty-five on segmenting, segmenting, targeting, and positioning. So STP, the holy trinity of marketing. Um, I'm going to talk about what this stuff means to you as you're coming out of the pandemic, how to think about it, how it all fits together to put tact, or strategy before tactics. It's going to be a great session. Uh, so check out the National Sports Forum. Also, if you don't already, you should get my newsletters. Uh, one's called Talking Tickets. That's each Friday, five stories from the world of live entertainment and with analysis, action items, and ideas on how to put those things into work for your business. You can also get the Business of Value, which is my weekly strategy newsletter. comes out on Sundays. I talk about strategy, marketing, revenue uh, with a focus more on best practices and ideas that cut across industries. Uh, you can get that at businessofvalue.substack.com and Talking Tickets is at talkingtickets.substack.com. Now back to Alex. Alex Sinatra is um, 
somebody that I came in contact with as I've been trying to do speaking and networking and things to um, help people through the pandemic. Uh, Matt Wolf from Ticket Time Machine introduced us, uh, and she's great. Uh, she is was a lawyer for a professional sports team before the pandemic hit. Um, but as we talk about during the episode, she also had developed multiple s- streams of income before. So we talk about being a generalist, um, I, you know, having different ideas and different ways to make money. We talk about packaging your ideas, packaging your skills in new ways. Um, we talk about the book series that she's where, um, that she's been writing. We talk about, uh, you know, keeping a positive mentality. We talk about how, how do you advocate and be a contrarian just as a way to help insulate yourself from risks. So we talk about how to manage risks. We talk about looking at opportunities, how to be fl- flexible, how to adapt to things. We, we talk about Denmark. We talk about being a digital nomad. We talk about her work with the Esports Trade Association. Um, we talk about embracing technology, uh, maximizing the virtual world. This is like an interesting conversation because a little bit different than some of the stuff I've been talking about or had the opportunity to talk about. Uh, Alex is great. We crack a lot of jokes. It's awesome. So without anything else from me, here is my conversation with Alex Sinatra on the Business of Fun podcast. I'd like to welcome Alex Sinatra to the Business of Fun podcast. Alex, how's it going? I'm doing well. Everything's going well. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Oh, this is going to be fun. We got to do a little um, LinkedIn learning thing together. So this was not, this was great. Um, I found out the secret to get connected to you on LinkedIn. This is amazing. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Yes, definitely. That was a very fun LinkedIn learning. And I got connected to you through Matt Wolf of Ticket Time Machine and Jill Haber. So I'm really excited that we got connected. No, it was, I thought it was fun, and um, I, I keep doing myself a disservice because I like to pretend that I'm always grumpy, but then people find, they get to know me, and they go, well, you're not at all grumpy, and I was like, well, that's not the point. It's, I, I want to be curmudgeonly. <laughs> I'm striving for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, now this is gonna, I think this will be fun because um, as has happened a lot lately, is, you, know, you, you spend a few minutes chatting with people before the podcast. And then you leave all these like great threads of conversations on the floor. But um, we got a lot of stuff here we can cover on. I think we'll be fun, um, or, or at least you'll be fun. I'll be my normal grumpy self. But I want to start out by talking to you about um, some lessons learned during the pandemic, because we're still right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, you know, we were talking about before, there's a vaccine on the horizon, but for people who are in entertainment, sports, all of these things, we're still a little bit away away from being able to have people back at their venues. Um, you know, so I want people to understand what are some of the lessons you've learned during this pandemic and how you coped with it. Yes, so there's a lot of lessons that I have learned. I'm sure so many of your listeners have learned a lot as well. In March of 2020, I was working for a professional sports team, and I was the in-house attorney. I handled all the marketing, the public relations, the community relations. I did a little bit of everything. I have a legal and marketing degree and a law license. And I was laid off. And it was quite surprising to me because I was not to toot my own horn, but I was really great at what I did. (laughs) And so it was really surprising. But I had always had multiple streams of revenue, multiple skill sets that I was cultivating. And so at that point, 
I was still working for USA Today as a side hustle doing content curation for their NFL wire sites, writing articles for them. So I was able to pivot and utilize the other skills that I had created, utilize my marketing degree. I started a podcast called Your Potential for Everything. I've written a a book series called The Multi-Potentialites Guide. It's a companion book series to my podcast. And so I learned that it is extremely important to cultivate multiple skill sets so that when something like this happens or you get laid off, not due to the pandemic, just in general, you want to make some type of change, having those multiple sets of skills that are seemingly disparate but help you become the best version of yourself that you can be, that you're really going to kind of pad yourself from having any one terrible situation really overwhelm you in the employment world. And so for me, I love to diversify my revenue streams, but I love to diversify my skill set as well. And I kind of learned that it's really important to do that. And the pandemic has only emphasized that. Yeah, there's a podcast episode I did with a friend of mine, Colin Lewis, and he talked about being a T-shaped person or a pie-shaped person. I'm sorry. I feel like the, you know, 3.14 pie. Um, And you're just reinforcing that. And I think it's great. And then you use that really awesome term, which uh, um, somebody who, another former podcast uh, guest, Zoe Skamen, talked about being a magpie, which is like the same thing you were saying about being a generalist was, what was the term you used again? It's called a multi-potentialite. It's another word for a jack or bill of all trades or renaissance person, a multi-potentialite. I like it. It's too complicated for me because I'm not as smart as you, but it's it's cool because, you know, we were talking, this is like another thing we were joking about before. It's like all of these things, all these skills that people have developed over the years, they're applicable in a lot of places, right? Like, you, you know, you have a business degree, a legal degree. I'm a uh, well, much too highly educated marketer, but it works because now it's <laughs> it's unbelievable the credentials. But it, it helps because then you can see that there's a process involved, and that process can help give you security. Um, and then the multiple streams of income is is even more important. And you know it's really really cool to understand, um, you know how that's helped you through the pandemic because I think a lot of people that are going to be listening you know, they have struggled with this problem right now. And to understand that using, you know, utilizing your skills in different ways uh, is possible, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you have any tips for people to help them understand how to do that or not, but maybe you do since you kind of have, you know, you've made that kind of, I think, an important part of your career, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I have made that an important part of my career. So, The series that I am about to finish up on my podcast, it's about side hustles and entrepreneurship. And the skills that I have learned, even just from hosting those episodes on the podcast, are amazing. So I have been doing side hustles or additional streams of of income for quite a while now. I worked for USA Today starting in 2016 on their NFL wire sites, and I've done a lot of different stuff for them. And I started that while I had a full-time job. And I knew that it was important to stay in the world of sport. So when I had that full-time job, I was working at a a multinational staffing company as the second attorney in charge. I managed a team over in India, but I knew that I wanted to be in sports in some way. And so my mentor said, you know, just try to figure out how to stay in sport. And 
I had written a paper on the NFL concussion suit back in law school. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to submit this to USA Today, their new NFL wire sites, and just see if I'm able to land some type of position. And I was able to get it because he said, you know, you have a phenomenal background, we can teach you how to be a journalist, we can teach you how to write about sports. We can't teach you to have your unique perspective, right? And so I was able to hold my full-time position and that side hustle at the same time. And when I left the full-time job, I was able to travel around the world for nine weeks being supported on the side hustle money that I was getting from USA Today. And that really kind of instilled in me the importance of having side hustles, utilizing skills on the side. There are so many of Abilities to do that online, like Coursera or Learn, you're able to go and take free classes on things. And having a side hustle is a way to dip your toe into the entrepreneurial pond without really having extreme risk. And that's something that people should really consider, especially during this time. Some people are out of work completely. Starting a side hustle or learning a new skill is so imperative to you. And if you're able to talk to recruiters or talk to people that are interviewing you about the fact that you're taking a machine learning class online through Coursera, then they're going to say, wow, they're really trying to reinvent themselves. They've always done marketing, but now they're getting into machine learning and AI and all of this. Maybe we can have them help us with the new ticketing system that we're going to implement in our arenas next year, right? And, and having those additional skills is so important when you're trying to reinvent yourself. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And first, I would say, let's call it multiple streams of income so we can sound like professional people who have been you know, these super <laughs> important educations. I kid, I joke. But the one thing I do want to highlight is you're talking about the perspective and the fact that like, hey, we can train you to be a journalist or we can train you to do this, but we can't necessarily teach you how to have your perspective. This is something I think that people don't necessarily pay enough attention to because it could become very easy to get caught in groupthink, right? And it's um, yeah. there's a cognitive bias that develops in people. Um, I've often... Again, this is where I, the grumpy thing comes in, is people think I'm grumpy because I have a point of view. And I was like, well, no, the thing is, is like if you're collecting all these experiences and all these ideas and all these, you know, all, all of these um, accomplishments and successes and failures all over the place, it makes you a more complete and more full, have a fuller set of experiences so that your perspective changes. And so that this this idea of having a point of view to me is very, very important. And so you might you use point of view or perspective, however you would like to use it. Can you tell me a little bit about like, A, how you develop it, how you continue to develop it? And was it like a conscious thing? Or was it just something that you sort of like woke up one day and like somebody pointed it out to you and you're like, going, holy crap, I did not realize that I had been doing this the whole time. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting when you've been looking at something the same way for a really long time, or you don't recognize that your skill set needs to be diversified because you've always been doing X the same way. So you and I were talking before we started recording about that group think mentality and the, we've always done it this way. So this is the way we're going to do it. And people not reinventing themselves during this time or reinventing themselves during this time or changing the systems and processes that they have to be more flexible. And then when the pandemic is over and we have a vaccine, just going back to what's always been done. 
and not actually learning anything. So that that's something that I could talk about all day, but you definitely need to understand how to reinvent yourself, understand why groupthink is not a great idea. Try to be the disruptor in your organization or in your own life. Kind of disrupt what you've always done and see what you can do to kind of make the changes going forward. I like to just look at myself as being incredibly contrary. That's how I look at it. And mm. It's a joke, sort sort of. Because <laughs> what I what I do know is that one of the people that I've learned a lot from over the years and uh, is Peter Drucker, and I will quote Peter Drucker things all the time. Uh, my wife will often call me from uh, and say like, "Oh, I saw this thing where somebody was quoting Peter Drucker, and it was absolutely wrong." And she'll be like, "Oh, I thought you would find that amusing." And but what, <laughs> one of the things that he said was that what most everybody knows is wrong. Or, and I probably have the quote slightly off, but what it meant was that if everybody's going in one direction, you probably want to ask yourself, what are you, what's being missed by that, right? And that's what I see for a lot of people is a challenge because it's, it's very comforting to be a part of a group because it's psychologically, that's what we've come from, right? We are, yes. um, if you, you know, evolution, right? Evolutionary science, humans are pack animals. You know, you don't want to stand out. So you have to train yourself to be willing to ask everybody's looking at this idea or this challenge or this problem in one way. How can I look at it from the opposite direction to see what might be missed? And there's a tremendous amount of opportunity because we all have blind spots. And so being mm -hmm. willing to ask the question of what is being missed here actually should be psychologically safer for people because it helps like, you, you know, again, if we're talking about evolutionary science, we want to run away from danger. We want to avoid danger. So that's like, the to me, it's like the safest thing is to like figure out what's dangerous about going along with what everybody else is doing. And, you know, and I, I don't know if that has anything at all to relate to how you developed your perspective, but for me, that's exactly where it came from. It was just like sort of a need to always protect myself from, where momentum was taking me. Yes. In in law school, they teach you to issue spot and to issue spot in a very proactive way. And so for me, I am almost always the person in an organization who is saying, okay, if we do X, what are the possible pitfalls in decision X or Y or Z? And let's look at what could potentially go wrong and then let's plan for that so that if something does go wrong, we've already planned for a contingency or we have planned away what could go wrong and then it only leaves for the things that we couldn't possibly ever have thought of. But that is not a very liked perspective. And at organizations, I've you been... Don't say Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you're considered abrasive, argumentative, not a team player, right? These are all things that people have said to me simply because I was proactive and I spotted the issues. So, and because I was a woman, because if women are, are strong or have leadership potential, a lot of times they're considered abrasive or argumentative. You're triggering me right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's one of those things where when you do that, you have to, number one, be okay with criticism and get very comfortable with people criticizing you. And number two, understand when it is necessary to be contrary, right? So I have noticed 
as I'm in, my family is East Coast, I'm Italian, I'm Russian, I have a temper, it's something I'm working on, okay, I know, okay. But when you <laughs> are someone who is constantly contrarian or playing devil's advocate, you have to know when not to do that as well, almost as much as you need to know when to do it, because you have to, right, they say in any good relationship, fight your, pick your battles, right? Don't right. pick every single tiny little thing to be contrarian about. And then when you are contrarian, people will listen. And so I have also learned that, like, yes, I can see all the issues with uh, a proposal. You give me a proposal, I can talk for days about the issues, the pros, the cons, proactively, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, how we should uh, segment that. I, I can do all of that. But at the end of the day, I have to say, okay, as a business person, as someone who has a business and legal degree, I have to say, okay, so my law brain, let's turn it off. Let's turn on my business brain and let's say, okay, what are the risks? What is the potential revenue? What is the potential downfall here? And if the risk is going to be small, maybe we don't put all the contingency plans in place. But maybe we do, right? So you have to know when to put those hats on and off, when not to be contrarian, when to put the proactive hat on, and when to just kind of sit back and listen and wait for someone to ask you your opinion on it. Yeah, it's um, the fairy tale. Grimm's fairy or I, mean, I don't know if it's a Grimm's fairy tale, but it's a fairy tale. The boy who cried wolf, right? If you, you mm -hmm. can't, when you're being contrary, right? It's... Um, especially internally in an organization like me, you know, when, if I, in writing and giving talks or doing a podcast like this, it's, it's easy for me to do it all the time. But inside an organization, you do have to, um, you want to temper it because you don't want it, that to be the only thing, right? Because sometimes there are potential downfalls. More likely than not, there's potential risks in everything. And the mm. biggest challenge is understanding which risks matter and which risks don't because there are no risk-free decisions. That's just the reality of it. The riskiest yeah. decision, though, is usually you know, not being willing to look at the world in the way that it is instead of the way that you want it to be. And, that, and that, mm. that's really the one where I dig my heels in most of the time and get really, really frustrated with people or become extremely obstinate is when I go, hey, look, I'm not trying to be a stick in the mud here, but I do want you to understand that like, you have to be realistic about what you're dealing with and the risk of not opening your eyes to the reality of the, or the totality of the situation is the most dangerous risk to your business that you face. But yeah. a lot of times really it's like, um, hell, I want to, you know, I want to just like throw as many ideas out there as anybody else. Cause that's like where the fun is anyway. <laughs> Oh, go. Sorry, I, I, you were going to say something. I, I almost jumped on you. Oh no, I was I was just enjoying listening to you. Ah. <laughs> I was totally agreeing. <laughs> now you brought up something that's interesting because I don't, um, uh, you know, I don't have a legal degree, um, but I, I do um, have far too many business degrees and certificates. Um, you know, it's an embarrassing number. Um, and a lot of times, and, and the, how do I want to ask this? I'm probably going to, it's going to be come, up, come off clumsy, so forgive me in advance. Um, but what I want to ask you is, a lot of times when you talk about lawyers, and you even talked about it too, it's like the job of the lawyer is to make sure that bad things don't happen in a lot of cases, right? And sometimes that has a negative connotation for people with business degrees, who like their whole thing is to make 
things happen. And you talked about it a little bit, but you know, knowing a little bit about what you've done and what you want to do in the future, I'm curious about how you kind of marry those things and like how you look at opportunities and the things that are going to come up after the pandemic's over. So I'm kind of asking you to put yourself in the shoes of like pushing forward a little bit and looking at where opportunities lie, especially understanding the risks and some of the challenges we're going to deal with coming out of the pandemic. Yes. So Ultimately, I've done most of my career as an in-house attorney, right? So I work inside of companies and organizations and businesses as a business partner to the owners, the C-levels. And I'm able to utilize my business and my legal degree doing that. And so what I have noticed is that in order for me to be an effective in-house counsel, I have to understand what the goals of the business are, right? And then I can determine what risks, like you said, what risks are important, what risks I should get rid of to the most extent that I can. And coming out of the pandemic, I see a lot of businesses and companies not recognizing the value of flexibility and a lot of attorneys not recognizing the value of flexibility. And what I mean by that is the work from home life. So I've been doing work from home since 2016 for USA Today. And I have had other full-time positions during that time where I worked in an office. But flexibility is something that has been seen as a little risky, right? Are our employees going to be working the right amount that they should be working? Are they going to take advantage? What is the the face-to-face is so important and you can't possibly build a good culture or a good work environment without face-to-face. And I have seen the exact opposite at USA Today. USA Today, the NFL wire sites that I work for, I have not met any of the current people that I work with in person. We barely have any Zooms, anything like that. We're completely virtual. And we have such a community of people who love working for each other. We love talking about sports. We love supporting each other. And if we didn't have that flexibility to work from home, number one, the NFL wire sites wouldn't even be an organization. USA Today wouldn't have the NFL wire sites as part of its sports media group because we are from all across the United States and at one point all across the world. And so the flexibility that I have been afforded has engendered me to USA Today. I I really want to do my best all the time. I'm constantly um, talking positively about my employer because I love that flexibility and the ability to kind of do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I don't shirk my responsibilities, right? And so these companies and these, especially like entertainment organizations, sports organizations, law firms, big multinationals, if they don't have that flexibility coming out of the pandemic, then their employees might just start might start not liking them and start leaving positions because they're not able to bring that flexibility into the non-pandemic age. What I want to see from the whole world, this is the whole world, this is if Dave had a magic wand, I would like to see, actually, I don't, actually, I take that back. I'm going to take, I'm going to strike this all from the record. I'm not, I'm going to leave it in, but I'm striking it from the record. Is I would like to see everybody manage based on results and impact and not on tasks. Um, uh, but I don't, but I don't want to, I don't want that to happen because then it would like, you know, it would probably cut into my, <laughs> cut into my, 
of my business. Um, but no, <laughs> so let's leave that out. We're cutting it out. No, all kidding aside, I, w- I you know, it's really you have to be willing to manage people and give people the flexibility and the creativity allowed to achieve impact, not activity. And yes. so many of the industries that you're talking about, uh, and too many of, and not USA Today, obviously, but um, some of the other industries that you mentioned, um, and professional services is just as bad, a lot of ad agencies, um, mm. you know, sports teams, uh, law firms, all these things, they have a, a tendency to only judge things by like the billable hour or the phone call made yeah. or the content created or whatever. And those are all awful ways of measuring things because they feed into that glut of, um, you know, glut of advertising. If you're talking about an ad agency, um, they, the tyranny of the billable hour, I believe I've heard referred to before, you know, all these things. And they're they're not effective ways, right? Because um, if you're a lawyer who's wed to the billable hour, it doesn't allow you maybe to do the best work for your client because you can't be, you can't necessarily be creative, right? Because Mm -hmm. how do you build? For that creativity, um, you know, if you're a um, a consultant, your 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 um, your billing is tied up in necessarily how long you stay around, not how much of an impact you have. And that's not the way it works with me, by the way. But don't tell anybody. That's uh, you know. But I mean, it's really like it's important what you're talking about. It's like that flexibility is such a key attribute of everything going forward. Um, you know, and you you do have to trust the people, right? You have to trust that you hired the right people. And I think uh, I'm hopeful that this extended time away from an office setting maybe gave, maybe broke the back of some of the micromanaging. Though so seeing some of the stories about some of the technologies, maybe I'm too optimistic in that regard. There are some other countries that actually do a phenomenal job at that work-life balance and the ability to kind of live a more virtual life. So for instance, in in Denmark, even before the pandemic, it was very normal and expected for people to leave the office to pick up their kids from school, even attorneys across industries, right? You'd maybe leave at two, you go pick up your kid, make food for them, go home, finish up work calls and things at the house maybe not even go back into the office. It was very normal before the pandemic and has increased even more now. What? It's a wonderful place, Denmark. (laughs) Yes. And they also, you would, so in the United States, at least in the legal industry and a lot of other industries as well, you know, you're not supposed to leave before the boss leaves. If you're not one of the last ones leaving the office, then you are someone who is lazy and you're not committed to your job, right? All of these terrible things. In Denmark, it's the opposite. If you're not able to get your work done within the specified normal working hours, then you might have a sit down with your employer who says, listen, is the workload too much for you? Are you not able to use your time effectively? It's not seen as a badge of honor like it is in the United States. It's kind of seen as you're being a terrible employee and you need to stop overworking yourself because that's bad. You that's know, making so- you a worse employee. Exactly. And so being able to have businesses in the United States and abroad kind of adopt a more digital nomad type lifestyle. Digital nomad is someone that is able to work from multiple places on a computer doing your job that way. And yes, there there are certain industries where that's really not going to work, right? Um, but being if you do most of your, your work online, then having these companies allow you to do more of that 
work from anywhere lifestyle, at least with the millennial generation and the generation that's coming up behind the millennials, we really want that flexibility, not because we're lazy, but because we also value our lives, our personal lives, right? And I think that that's something over the decades that has kind of been erased, right? Like you are what you do. And if you lose your job, then you are not a whole person and there's something wrong with you. And I think that's why we see a lot of people right now who have been out of work due to the pandemic, really struggling with their identity as people. We see a lot of mental health issues arising as well, because people are so ingrained that what they do in their title is who they are as a person. And that is not true. And we really have to get away from that. And hopefully going forward, companies recognize that their employees are people with lives and that giving them flexibility is not going to be a negative. It's going to be a positive and it's really going to make the loyalty of those employees to those companies even greater because they appreciate them as people. Oh yeah. There, um, so I live in Washington, DC. So uh, you obviously have been putting some kind of spyware on my computer uh, for when I was out and about in the four <laughs> times uh, because really like everybody's, um, self-image is tied up, not just in what their title is or any of that stuff, but who they work for, right? Mm. Because obviously it's tied to the government, which is extremely unhealthy. Um, mm. And I and my my joke is always like, well, I'm my son's dad. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> I mean, which really is the most important job. Um, yes. And, you know, and like it just, you know, often goes over people's heads that like, I don't work for the government, that like, um, you know, I, I won't really tell you exactly what anything I go because it doesn't matter. I mean, this, I, I mean, being, the, being me is great. <laughs> you know, like doing all the crazy things I get to do is awesome, but it's not like, um, I go do something else too. It would like not necessarily, um, I'm not that wet in, in that. And, mm-hmm. and it's a very unhealthy, um, attitude. And again, like I told you before, I mean, I have my EO is totally is totally um, healthy or even unhealthily large, um, but <laughs> but I'm not but it, it, I'm not overwhelmed by it. And I think that I'm hopeful that one of the changes that comes out of the pandemic is that people have do have a health uh, gain a healthier understanding of that and the need to um, develop their skills and develop the way they work in a way that allows them to be um, more completely human. Because yes. I think, uh, you know, the primary audience for this podcast still is people who have worked or still work in the live entertainment industry, uh, marketing and selling experiences and tickets. Um, and I'm certain, if not absolutely certain, that everybody has suffered. Um mm-hmm. You know, and so not being tied up in and having everything you believe about yourself being tied up in that part of your life it, it is only going to be healthy, right? Because yeah. you you do, I mean, you, you know, everybody needs a little bit more balance and a little bit more, um, you, you know, just humanity. Because I, I think one of the challenges that like I was seeing in the industry as a whole was this like like every industry had become commoditized. And that's like where like the magic of bringing group big groups of people together had been lost. 
and the magic of like recognizing like oh my god this is like a, no matter what it would be it didn't matter if you were going to see a show that they did eight times a week like hamilton or any of those it was still a once in a lifetime thing because you'd never get the same actors and actresses together with the same audience mm-hmm. in the same place at the same time ever again and a lot of that magic had been lost and i hope that like you know this does provide an opportunity to step back and think about that and make choices that are different based upon that because it's um, uh, you know, it is all about people, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, we were talking about this before uh, you know, at the start, right? Because Matt brought us together, Matt Wolf. Um, but it is all about people, right? And I hope that that's something that really brings, you know, gets reinforced and maybe made more important now. Um, I, if you watch the news, which I try not to, it, it, that maybe seems like wishful thinking. But I'm an optimist uh, deep down. Yeah. On the surface, though, I'm still curmudging. <laughs> well, something that I have really emphasized within myself over the past nine, ten months, however long it's been, is that the question that people have always been asked since they were little was, what do you want to be when you grow up? What one thing do you want to be when you grow up, right? And as a little kid, you hear people say, a basketball player, a ballerina, an astronaut, a doctor, a lawyer, right? One thing. But for me, when I was little, you know, I said I wanted to be an Olympic gymnast. That's what I wanted to be because I was a high-level gymnast. I worked out six days a week. I did two days in the summer starting at the age of, you know, seven. And I was old to start gymnastics. I was was seven. I was like an old woman at that point, right? And so for me, I – had that dream shattered when I was, when I, when I broke my back and I broke my back when I was a teenager and then I broke my back again in college. And that just kind of like shattered my dream. And I thought to myself, like, wow, I had always identified myself as a gymnast. And when people asked me what I was or what I wanted to be, it was a gymnast. It was a gymnast, one thing, one thing. Right. And so I really had to reinvent myself at a very young age. And so I guess in that sense, I was very lucky because I understood the importance of not just saying that you wanted to be one thing when you grew up. Yes, there are some people who are specialists and that's amazing and they want to do one thing and that's the only thing that they're ever going to do in their life and they're phenomenal at it. Fantastic. Wonderful. I love that. But for all of us who don't have that, you don't have to be one thing when you grow up. And that's something that everybody that's out of a job right now, like just because you're always a marketer, always an advertiser, or you're always in one industry or another industry, that doesn't mean that you can't also be something else. And when people ask me that question now, what do I want to be when I grow up? My answer now is just happy. I want to be happy when I grow up. I want to be happy and I want to be helping other people. That's what I want to do. And so if people kind of sit back, all the people that are out of a job or people that want to transition out of a a toxic job, if they just want to like sit back and ask themselves like, okay, if people ask me now, what do I want to be when I grow up? No matter what age you are, think about it as, think about your answer as being multifaceted. Don't just glue yourself to one thing or one title or one company or one organization or one industry. Think about yourself as a multifaceted person because you are multifaceted, right? You eat different types of ice cream, different types of food. You like to go to different shows. You like to watch different movies. So think of your career path as multifaceted as well. Whoa, whoa, whoa. People eat different kinds of ice cream, not just vanilla? 
I mean, I, I'm told, I'm told people do. I'm not really a big ice cream fan. I mean, sorry to admit, but, uh, but pie, I like pie and candy and I like to eat all different kinds of candy, all different life, types of chocolate, you know, people and you have to think Reese's about your work life that Hold way as well. Second. This is crazy. This is, I, I only <laughs> eat key lime pie. Um, <laughs> holy mess. <it> was your... <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's, it's an incredibly, uh, it's a great point it, because I think that, um, you, you think that there's like something wrong if you if you feel like you should evolve and change and it, it absolutely you 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 should be different a different person at every stage in your life and that's totally cool is actually the thing um you know and so like the happy answer is awesome uh, you know i think um but that's you know that's me i'm a noted i'm a noted on one hand a noted curmudgeon on the other hand a noted hippie so um but I want before I let you go, I want to ask you about this thing that I have underlined here twice, not once but twice. Um, okay. It's the Esports Trade Association. Now, yes. this isn't obviously not the last episode of the of the podcast I'm ever going to do because that what fun would that be? Um, but I started the podcast out by interviewing the CEO of an esports uh, uh, organization, uh, Team Dignitas, uh, Michael Prendigal. And so, like now, you are on the esports trade association, and you are on the lead. What is it? You're head of the legal services, legal and governance there. committee, and I sit there on the board. There we director. go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I found interesting, and this is because I was talking to you, so I'm going to steal your idea now, lovingly, okay. of course, and I'm admitting <laughs> to it. Um, is that like in the time since the pandemic started, uh, esports has been pretty good about not losing a lot of revenue and they have been pretty good about uh, educating their audience and their fans about ways to stay engaged ways to continue to support the teams um, you know they've done a really great job of handling the pandemic um, and the flip side of that has been like a lot of the traditional sports teams have struggled because like ratings have been down um, their ability to communicate and engage with their audience has suffered in a yeah. lot of cases, a lot of these uh, revenues have been uh, just savaged. Um, what do you point to as the reason the esports has been so successful in weathering the pandemic? Esports has embraced technology. They've embraced the fact that they are a younger industry than other industries, and therefore they don't have deeply rooted, this is the way we've always done it, mindsets and mentality. They're flexible. They're able to pivot easily. The industry of esports is primarily made up of the virtual world, right? Which a lot of other industries, for some reason, didn't recognize that the virtual world was such a hot commodity and something that they should be trying to utilize, monetize, become engaged with. And so when the pandemic hit, like you said, esports did take a, a revenue hit as an industry, but they were able to easily pivot anything that they had in person, any physical events, any events within arenas, they were able to bring those tournaments and those games from all the different games, the all different games because esports is like traditional sports. There is there are multiple games under the one umbrella of esports. So all of these different tournaments that were taking place across the world, they just brought them into the virtual world, and it wasn't difficult because they had educated their viewership, their listeners, their fan base 
over time to be able to easily pivot whatever was going on to the technological and virtual world. And traditional sports, the event space, they were a lot slower to understand the value there. And, you know, I did acting and modeling for 15 years of my life, starting as a child. And I had always said ever since I was little, why do I have to go to an audition or a go see in person? Why do I need to drive an hour to go to this? Why can't they just interview me and, uh, through Zoom? Or why can't they just interview me online? Why, why do I have to drive this long? Can't I just do a taped audition? Right. And now, I am seeing that industry doing a lot of stuff virtually, a lot of taped auditions, a lot of Zoom meetings. And I just thought to myself, wow, this could have been implemented 15 years ago when we had the technology before and all these other industries didn't do it, specifically traditional sports industries and event spaces. They just didn't utilize that virtual community. But esports has been doing it for a while. So pivoting to all virtual wasn't a big deal. Well, now you're going to get yourself in trouble talking about all this crazy stuff about building communities and using the digital <laughs> platforms to be successful. Um, I know it's I mean, crazy, isn't it? I mean, uh, compared to you, I'm an I'm an old man. I mean, compared to myself, I'm an old man. I'm an old man, uh, and I look at this stuff as like you know, and maybe this is why I end up being like people. I don't ever get the old, like, what do you know, old man label thrown at me very often is, um, it's because like when I see these new things, I'm like, going, well, what works or what has worked in the past? And like, how does this new tool help me be work better? And so like, um, I just learned like so much about like all the stuff in the gaming engines from watching my son play, um, Fortnite and FIFA. And like mm -hmm. the opportunities are tremendous. I mean, this stuff is like, yeah. I, I mean, I, to be fair, I, I like kind of poo pooed the stuff too at the start because I was like, well, I, you know, I, I want to wait and see how people react. But then once I started um, seeing that, like, you can sell out arenas to watch uh, esports championships and esports tournaments, and then seeing what, like, the way that you can monetize a user, I was like, well, this is great. This is just like an evolution yeah. of a fan club. And this is, you know, and this is a new way of giving people different access and different experiences and connecting yeah. people. And it really, when done well, it embraces some of the, the better aspects of the internet that we, we people were hopeful for when like uh, old folks like me were first coming along with the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's great opportunities. Um, you know, so like, and you said you're going to do some continuing learning about the legal implications of esports, is that right, or am I making that yes, up? Yes, a continuing legal education class. It's called a CLE. We have to, as attorneys, we have to do a certain number each year in order to keep our license. I heard the rumor. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and so, how will we point people if they're wanting to learn about that stuff? Where will we point them to? Well, if you, the CLE that I am teaching is private just for the law firm, you know, very oh, exclusive, but oh, fancy, <laughs> you, fancy. you can definitely join the esports trade association. They have memberships as low as $10 a month for students and $50 a month for professionals in this space. And there are constantly virtual conferences that are taking place, webinars that are taking places, Netflix, 
Netflix, Netflix, wow, obviously I'm tired, networking events and all of these different opportunities as a member of the Esports Trade Association. Like I said, I sit on the board and we're constantly educating people in the space who are newcomers, but also individuals who have been in the industry for a while. And we're trying to make the wild west of esports a little more understood by those outside of the industry, but also trying to make sure that there is some type of continuity within the space so that players and teams and leagues are not taking advantage of each other or people internally or people externally. And so if you really want to learn about the Esports Trade Association or esports in general, you should definitely become a member. If you're in the esports community, you should definitely join as well uh, because we are definitely trying to create additional streams of revenue for those people that are in the esports industry. So definitely take a look and uh, check us out. No, it's great. And I think, I think we covered a lot, don't you? Yeah, definitely. This was awesome. I I feel like I was learning from myself. I love it. (laughs) You know, um, there is a skill to asking good questions. Um, one of these days, I'm gonna I'm gonna get there. Uh, so I, I try to like not ask any incredibly awful questions. Which, if you listen to some of the very early podcast episodes, you would know that that was all I did. Um, but <laughs> outside of the esports trade association, where else can I point people to find out more about you and what you're working on? Definitely. Thanks so much for that. You can follow me on Instagram at your potential for everything. You can also follow my podcast on any of the podcasting platforms. It's called your potential for everything. And I also have the book series that I have been writing called the multi-potentialites guide. I have one on networking in the virtual age. I have a book on working from home and I have a book on side hustles and entrepreneurship and how to get started. You can find them on Amazon. You can also find them on my Instagram at your potential for everything. I have all of the, I have a contract shop where I write out NDAs and all the different things for that people might need resignation letters, all of that. So you can find out all about that on my Instagram at your potential for everything and be sure to subscribe to my podcast as well. Yeah. Check Alex out. I mean, I learned stuff. I mean, you know, that's (laughs) not hard to believe. I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm like always the least educated here. Um, But Alex, thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was absolutely a pleasure. Let me know what you thought of my conversation with Alex Sinatra. Send me an email. It's my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Make sure that you visit my website. It's DaveWakeman.com where I blog all the time. It keeps you up to date. Uh, I have been revamping the thing, reshaping it. So it's got a new look, a new feel. Uh, Hopefully some of the articles and things that are easier to navigate. So that's DaveWakeman.com. Make sure you connect with me on the social media. On LinkedIn, I'm just search for Dave Wakeman. On Twitter, I'm at David Wakeman. I haven't made this joke in a while, so why don't I do it? Uh, if you know the guy who holds the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, get it for me. He hasn't tweeted since 2010. That's a, over a decade now. I need the Twitter handle. Um, make sure that you check out my friends at We Will Recover. That's wewillrecover.live. That's the people behind Activity Stream. Uh, they put together a great resource with ideas from all over the world to help you recover, relaunch, reinvent your organization on the other side of the pandemic. Uh, make sure that you hook up with my friends Simon, Kat, Kath, the entire team at Booking Protect. Uh, BookingProtect.com. There is a, a great blog there. Um, they're doing a great job on social media with 
especially Instagram, with posting pictures, quotes, things about the live industry uh, that will help you remember what we're missing out on, maybe help motivate you a little bit, give you something positive to look at. I mean, it's really cool, some of the stuff they've done with it. So um, check them out. We will recover or bookingprotect.com. Make sure you get my newsletters, right? These uh, talking tickets is five stories from the world of live entertainment each week with some analysis, some action items, and some ways for you to incorporate some of these ideas into your business. You can get that newsletter at talkingtickets.substack.com. Again, that's talkingtickets.substack.com. And I do another strategy and marketing email that goes out on Sundays called The Business of Value. It is a um, it's more written, less analysis, but I share ideas and ways that you can turn your business, uh, improve your business. I take ideas from around the world, best practices from every industry and apply them in a way that people can use to um, grow their businesses, take advantage of opportunities, um, see how other people do it. So that's businessofvalue.substack.com. Again, businessofvalue.substack.com. As always, you don't feel like you need to get through this pandemic alone. If you need somebody to chat to, you have my email address. Send me an email. Uh, We can set up a time to talk. Uh, We have a Slack group for people in tickets. Um, You know, in live entertainment, if you want to join that, there's about 250, 300 uh, people from around the world in there talking tickets, ideas on recovery, the whole deal. Uh, But just make sure, especially as we're heading into the holidays, it's very tough. The whole year has been tough for most people that I know, Um, you know, from a mental health standpoint or a business standpoint. Don't go through this stuff alone. You know, send me a note. I'm happy to talk with anybody if I can, you know, just like so you have you know, somebody to talk to, somebody to I can crack jokes, so do a good job at that. You know, whatever it is, don't feel like you got to go through this alone. I'm here for you. Uh, there's tons of people, uh, tons of resources. You know, I just want to make sure people get through this, you know, as safely and securely as possible. Um, so hit me up if you need to talk. Okay. Um, until next time, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and I will actually talk to you again pretty soon because I've got quite a few podcasts scheduled for December. Um, Lo and behold, I'm back talking to you. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy.